<laughs> if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up Revelation chapter 4 as we uh, dive into the text tonight. <clears throat> Let's begin in uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking with me and saying, Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance as an emerald. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each had six wings, were full of eyes around and within, And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits upon the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word, God, to dive into what you have for us. God, I pray, Lord, as we get an opportunity tonight just to see the throne room of heaven and and to experience the sights and the sounds therein. God, I pray, Lord, you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that we can receive that which you have for us tonight. And God, that we would draw closer to you as a result. We give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, tonight we get to go into the throne room. Uh, We have the... This word, the throne of God, which is used uh, throughout the scripture, about 58 times in the New Testament, 43 of those are in Revelation, 14 of those are in this chapter. So, big theme to what we're looking at here in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, is what is taking place, metatauta, remember, after these things, what things, chapter 1, 2, and 3, so the vision of Christ and the, and the church in chapters 2 and 3, those things are concluded. What is happening after these things? Immediately we're taken to the throne room of God and we're given a description 
of what's taking place here. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, the door was standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like a trumpet, we see in chapter 1, that's the voice of Jesus Christ, speaks to me, come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place, metatauta, after these things, after the things we've already taken a look at. Verse 2, immediately I was in the Spirit. Okay, that's how we write it in English. The way that it's written in Greek is, I was in spirit. The word the, the definite article, is not there. What what does that mean? The Bible tells in John chapter 4 that when we come to worship God, we must worship Him how? In spirit and in truth. Same thing, no definite article. The point of not having a definite article is it speaks to a character, something that occurs uh, within what we're looking at here in chapter four is not a vision. Okay, are you with me? A vision would be uh, if it had the word the, it could be I was in the spirit in a spiritual place and I see this vision, but that's not the language that's used. I was in spirit. He's changed. It's always used in scripture to contrast flesh from spirit. What did Jesus say? You must worship me how? In spirit and in truth. In in contradistinction to what? Worship Him in the flesh. So we're going to worship Him in spirit, flesh being carnal. So He was changed. John is physically changed and taken into heaven. And He's going to use this phrase over and over again. I looked, I looked, I looked. I saw, I saw, I saw, I heard. He's there in it. You with me? He's there seeing it, watching it, observing it, and laying it out for us. So what is it that he sees? It says, immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one, you might notice that word one in your Bible is in what? Oh, so it's not there, right? It's not there. Italics means it's given to us to help us understand a difficult sentence in the Greek. It says, I saw a throne set in heaven, and he's going to describe that throne. He's going to describe the being that is on the throne. He who sits on the throne. He's going to give us a description of this throne room. Now, this idea of thrones all throughout Scripture, right? What do we know? Jesus is going to sit as king on what throne? The throne of David, right? He's going to sit on the throne of David. Jesus told his disciples, what did he tell them? He said, just as I am going to sit on my father's throne, you are going to sit on my throne. You're going to have thrones. This idea, that the concept, a lot of times when we picture heaven, we picture this idea. If we go to heaven and we get a, everybody gets a harp and a cloud, and we sit on the, on the cloud and we play the harp, and we all get in a circle, sing kumbaya. We do, uh, we do marshmallows around the campfire. I don't know what your vision is of it, but the Bible describes it as there's going to be responsibility and authority. Why do I say that? Because it talks about us sitting on thrones around the throne of God, ruling and reigning together with Him. <clears throat> so there's some kind of responsibility and authority taking place. Now, I don't know any more than that. I can just tell you that's what it says, and I think that's the point that He's making. There's an authority, there's a responsibility. Think about the stories Jesus told His disciples. Remember the story of the talents? Or the story of the, of the minas. So each one is given 
a different number of minas or talents. And then what they used that for, they gave an account to the master, right? You remember? And when they gave their account to the master, the master said, you've been faithful in a few things. I will make you master over many. One of the parables even talks about the fact that I'll give you authority over cities. Ten cities, five cities, one city. So the point is, the stories that Jesus told to his disciples about the the time in which they will give an account to the master speaks of there being responsibility in heaven. There speaks of there being an authority. There's, There's a purpose, I guess, is my point. Now, I'm not trying to suggest worship's not a purpose. It is a purpose. And there will be worship in heaven. We're going to read about that tonight. (coughs) But I want us to see, get away from the idea of heaven is perfect nothingness. That doesn't come from the Bible. And that heaven has a purpose. That God is a God of order, still has a plan that He's working out with His creation and a point to which we're getting There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and time doesn't stop. We don't close the book and say, and they all lived happily ever after. I mean, that's nice, but the point is they lived. There was a purpose. you with me? There was something going on. So so he says, look, I'm in the throne room. I see the throne. I see this incredible picture in heaven. I see this incredible thing happening. Now let's focus on the one who sat on the throne. Look at verse 3. And he who sat there, now this is an interesting way to describe him. He who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone. When's the last time you, you described somebody that way? Well, you probably never called somebody a jasper or sardius. So let me give you a, 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 the picture. A jasper is a diamond. The way it's described biblically is that it is a stone that is clear as crystal. And that when you look through it, it sparkles. So to me, that's a diamond. Now, we'll get there, we find out it's something different than that. That's all right. But you get the picture, right? That's the jasper. What was a sardius? The sardius stone is a blood red ruby. So we have something that we can picture, right? (coughs) A diamond and a ruby. So when we look at this description, we want to understand what's going on. Now, whenever we come... Please don't lose sight of this reality. We're coming to the last book of the Bible. How many books were before this? 65 other books. Do you think those 65 other books had something to say? So when's the last time you got a book, you went and picked that book, man, I can't wait to read this, and you went right to the last chapter and that was all you read? Okay, so the rest of the book has something to say, right? So when we come to things in Revelation and we want to understand them, we want to grasp them. We want to say, what does he mean by this? Then where do we go for that? You don't need to run to another book that somebody went to school for 475 years, paid $100 million for his education, and so he tells you what it means. All you got to do is go to the other 65 books and say, where else is this talked about? And when it was, what was, what was the point of it? What was the, the point that was, that was being bought up? So we're going to do that. He was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne (coughs) in appearance like an emerald. Okay, keep that in mind. Like a jasper, like a sardius. So I always do this. In in hermeneutics, there is a... So, everybody know what hermeneutics is? Hermeneutics is the big, long, fancy word for 
the science of interpretation. You actually use it anytime you read a book, right? And the author writes something in the book. Your job is to interpret what the author means, what's going on in the story, what's happening. You guys ever seen a movie and you knew what was going to happen before it happened? You applied hermeneutics while you were watching a movie. You figured out who the bad guy was. Are you with me? You figured out who the good guy was. You don't even know that you're doing it, but that's what you do. You, you're, you're utilizing that science. So one of the concepts of hermeneutics or the science of interpretation is the idea that the way something is used the first time it's used carries significance. Okay? Like think when you watch a movie and a character first comes on the scene. The first time you're introduced to that character. There's something important about that, right? Is he wearing a white hat or a black hat? Or whatever, you know, I don't know. What, whatever the reason and the, and the things that they're showing us. So when we come to, to issues in the scripture and I go, okay, Sardis, Jasper, what's this all about? Then I'm going to go back to where it came up first. Where does this come up first? What was it a picture of then? What was the point of it then? Because the Bible is one continuous message. So what it meant in the beginning is still what it means in the end. You with me? Okay, so when we look at it, we're going to go to Exodus 28, verse 17. These very stones are going to be brought up in the description of the high priest's ephod. It was a, the ephod was a chest plate he wore. Remember, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday. When we talk about Jesus as our high priest. On his shoulders were two stones, and engraved on those two stones were the names of the children of Israel. Why? The role of the high priest was to do what? carry them on his shoulder. And then there were 12 stones put in a breastplate. And those 12 stones were to make sure that that high priest always kept the people, the 12 tribes, where? Over his heart. Right? So I'm going to bear with the people. I'm going to have compassion on the people. That, that is the role of the high priest. And, and that's important when we look at Jesus as our high priest, Right? So when we look at those stones, let's look. Exodus 28, verse 17 says, You shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. So if there's 12 and there's four rows, how many is in each row? You guys didn't know you were going to have math tonight, huh? Oh, come on. You're not going to make it do math. So you get three stones in each row. The first row shall be set with a sardis, a topaz, and an emerald. That's the first row. Second row will be turquoise, sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, jacinth, agate, and amethyst. And the fourth row, beryl, and onyx, and jasper. Okay, so we see that in, the, in that plate, now you also heard diamond. I don't have time to get into it. Here's the reality. When they tell us all the names of these stones, nobody knows what they are. Right? Do you know what they used to call stone 5,000 years ago? Yeah, stone. But they're the different types, colors, and things. So we struggle trying to nail it all down, all right? <coughs> so I'm telling you, the way Jasper is described in the Bible is clear as crystal. So just keep that in mind. If you don't want it to be a diamond, you don't have to, it don't have to be for you. But what the point is, the first stone was a sardius stone, which I said was a ruby, right? The last stone was the Jasper stone, which I said was a diamond. Something clear as crystal. The first one and the last one. Which stones are brought up? Jesus. Here's the guy sitting on the throne. He is like the first stone and the last stone. 
He's like the sardius and the jasper. Now, when we look at those, those aren't just random. Do you know what the order is? The order is the order of birth for the 12 tribes of Israel. Who's the first son born? Reuben. What was his... uh, What was the... Well, I'll get into the banner and everything that he marched by. But he's signified by the sardius stone. The tribe of Reuben, blood red. Reuben means, behold, a son. The last son in the line, anybody remember? Who's the last one born? He's a brother of Joseph. Benjamin, yeah, I heard somebody say it. Benjamin is the last one. <coughs> Benjamin's name, his, his stone was the Jasper Stone. He's the last of the twelve. And his name means the son of my right hand. So here you have a description of the Son of God sitting on the throne of God in the throne room of heaven and he's described as the first stone and the last stone. As, behold, a son, the son of my right hand. Isn't that a good way to describe Jesus Christ? The Son of God? The Son of God, the right hand? Who's who's seated at the right hand of God? Jesus, right? Isn't that what the Bible tells us? He sat down at the right hand of God, right? And God told him in Psalm 119, God said, you sit here until I make all your enemies, what? Your footstool. So God, that's where we're at now. That's, that, that, those are the things that God are doing. So this is the picture, guys. This is a picture of that throne room. Behold the Son, the Son of my right hand. And I think those two stones speak of, uh, um, his holiness, I think the jasper speaks of holiness, crystal clear, perfectly pure. I think the sardius stone being blood red speaks of his sacrifice. So I think we see his, his holiness, his sacrifice, and ultimately all of it, I think, speaks of his love. They're describing the breastplate, which was over the heart, right? Over the heart of the high priest of the nation of Israel. But that's not the only description. So we got Jasper, Sardius, and then what's around the throne? A rainbow. Now, it's interesting because it says the rainbow is around the throne, right? Most of the time we see a rainbow, we see a rainbow like a bow, right? Like it it comes down and there's leprechauns on one side or the other with uh, pots full of gold. Yeah? No? Okay. You guys understand what I'm talking about. But this says... There's a rainbow around the throne. So what I want you to picture is like when you look at the throne, you're looking through a kaleidoscope. You guys ever done that? And you turn it and what happens? Colors are all changing. So we've got two colors brought up. This crystal clear light and this blood red, right? And then he says the rainbow goes all the way around the throne, which in my opinion speaks of, the the rainbow speaks of his faithfulness right what did he tell uh noah i'll never again flood the earth with water right so he's saying i'll be faithful to keep my promise to you and here's proof the promise i'm going to put the rainbow in the sky when that rainbow goes all the way around the throne so not only is he faithful he's eternally faithful because the rainbow never ends it never ends and he says it's emerald it's emerald it's green it's like New life. And the idea, I think, of the, of the emerald in the stone, the idea that I pull from Scripture is a picture of mercy. A picture of mercy. So we've got blood-red sacrifice, crystal 
pure light. We've got the rainbow speaking of his faithfulness. And then you have this green light coming through it all. So what I want you to see is not the rainbow with four colors in it like we do. What I want you to see is like what you would see in a kaleidoscope around the throne of God. And all this light emanating through. Because the Bible tells us God is light. But he's not just one kind of light. He's all kind of light. So you've got, you've got pure light and red light and green light pictured around this throne. This is the throne room <coughs> that we come to. This is the throne that we see. But that's not all there is to it, right? So we've got this picture of the throne. We see the light uh, uh, emanating from the throne. But then the scripture goes on to tell us that there are people that sit on thrones around the throne. So you got one throne in the middle, kaleidoscope, light, all this cool stuff going on. And then Revelation 4, verse 4 says, Around that throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. So we're introduced to this group. Now I will tell you, Everybody agrees. It always makes me nervous when everybody agrees. This is the only thing they all agree on. Everybody agrees that 24 is a representative number. means a, a number that you can understand that stands for a larger group. Are you with me? So we have, for example, 12 tribes of Israel was not just 12 people, right? So when the children of Israel left the Exodus... The Bible says there were 12 tribes. Now, that's a manageable number. When I tell you there were 2 million people, that's a little less manageable. Are you with me? So we use something to represent the larger group. What do we use? 12 tribes. Okay? We do the same thing in the New Testament, don't we? We, If I said New Testament 12, what are you thinking of? The 12? Oh, yeah, we're thinking about the 12 disciples, right? We're thinking about the 12 disciples. But you know, every time we see them gathered together in the upper room, is there only 12? Oh, no. 120. One time. One time they send out the 70. Two by two. You remember? So the 12 disciples are representative. There's 12 main guys. Are you with me? 12 main guys that represent the whole group that's following Jesus. All right? You understand what I'm saying? So when we come to this number, the 24 elders, everyone agrees. It represents, some, that's where the agreement stops, just so you know. Everybody agrees it represents a larger number. Now, what that number is, everybody doesn't agree. I believe that the 24 elders are representative of the church. And the church, who was on chapter 2 and 3, is currently in chapter 4, in heaven, where? Before the throne. Surrounding the throne of the church, always viewed as the bride. The church surrounding the throne of her groom. Together, forever. Once the church is with Jesus Christ, she will never be apart from him again. Jesus and the church together. Now I'm going to tell you why. I don't just want to make the statement and... But remember, I said, where am I going to go for, to, for proof? I'm just going to go back to the Word. What's the Word tell us about these guys? Okay, first off, one thing I want you to think about is the word elder. Where have we seen the word elder before? 
in the Bible. Where do we see elder? Well, we see elder all throughout the New Testament, don't we? Paul's always telling Titus or Timothy or, or uh, uh, his guys that he's sending out, go and, and choose elders of the church wherever you go. Elevate these guys so that they would have authority over what? The church, right? That they would take care of the business aspect of keeping things going in the church. That there was going to be authority. Think about it. Were those elders, aren't they representative of the church? Here in Calvary Chapel Buell, we have a board of elders. What does that board of elders represent? The body. The whole body. Those elders are to, to gather, pray, you know, work things out, that whatever's going on, for what purpose? For the body. It would be very difficult for the whole body to come together and have to vote for every single thing we did. Now, some people do it that way. Okay? Some people do it that way. They don't do much. Because if I, I guarantee you, you guys know what? We're getting new carpet. Isn't that good news? You want, you want to see how we don't get new carpet? So let's have a committee discuss what color carpet we get. Oh, would everyone have an opinion? Would there, people would be saying, you need, while we're on the subject of carpet, what do you, why do we have blue chairs and brown chairs? How are we going to, we need to find a design to mix them in. You know, we talked about putting crosses in the middle and trying to, but <coughs> I don't know yet what we'll do. All I know is God provided us free blue chairs and they're softer than the plastic ones. So Hallelujah. So what do we do? We have a group of men that represent the body who make those decisions. Does that make sense? So where do we see that term used? We see that term used in conjunction with the church. Now here's what I know. I know it's not tribulation believers. People who come to faith during the tribulation. Are there people who come to faith during the tribulation? Yeah, there are. The Bible says you can't even number them. So there's a a fair amount that come to faith during the 70th week of Daniel. So, so how do I know that? Revelation chapter 7, verse 13 says, Then one of the elders, this is John, having, having this experience in heaven, one of the elders answered and said to me, Who are these ones arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? Now, John doesn't know. So he says, I said to him, Sir, you know, which is the same thing as me saying, I don't know, but you do. So he says, Sir, you know. And so he answers him, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Wow. Why do I say it's not tribulation saints? What chapter is that? Seven. Where are we? Four. Have we even got to the, the seals being opened and the 70th week of Daniel starting? No. But what do we see in heaven already? Twenty-four elders. So we're not talking about tribulation saints. What else? I'm not talking about angels. The Bible's not talking about angels. Well, I think if the Bible was talking about angels, it would have used the word, thank you. Uh, I don't think it's that complicated. But just in case you think, well, I don't know if that's a good reason. There's a lot of people who think it's angels. So we go to Revelation chapter 7, verse 11. Revelation chapter 7, verse 11. We have this description. It begins with this phrase. All the angels. How many is that? All. Does that mean all of them? Or just mean most of them? Okay. So all the angels stood around the throne. And then we have another group introduced, right? And the elders. And the four living creatures 
And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. So we see distinct groups, right? Would it make sense if it all the angels and then uh, the elders, which are also angels? Does that make sense to you? Wouldn't make sense to me if he said most of the angels and then the rest of them, which are the elders. That would make sense. But because (coughs) he uses the phrase, all the angels, I don't think this can be angels. It's not the angels. The angels are already in a group. So this is a different, distinct group. I also think it cannot be the nation of Israel. The reason it cannot be the nation of Israel is because the nation of Israel is not complete yet. The point of the 70th week of Daniel is to restore Israel. Israel is not restored until chapter 20 in the kingdom. And Jesus Christ sets up his throne and we enter into the kingdom. He sits on the throne of David. Israel is saved. That's the purpose of the 70th week of Daniel. So chapter 4, before the 70th week of Daniel, I can't have a number that represents all of the nation of Israel when Israel's not even put together yet. It doesn't follow the chronology. So, here's what I do see. There are 24. 24 represents a greater number. Number 2, they are sitting where? On thrones, right? The angels are sitting on thrones. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant that he sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Who's speaking? Jesus. Who's he talking to? The church. You remember the phrase, to he who overcomes? We talked about it over and over again when we came to it. (coughs) The overcomer is defined by the same author. Again, we're, we're using the science of interpretation. What do I mean? The guy who wrote Revelation, what's his name? John. John the Revelator. He also wrote, uh, the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Oh, look, they all carry his name, so it's easy to figure out, right? So when we come to 1st John chapter 5, He, the author of the book of Revelation, defines what an overcomer is. Did you know that? An overcomer is not someone who is a perfect performer of all the rituals that we have within Christianity. An overcomer, he says, this is the overcomer. The one who believes Jesus is the Christ. He is an overcomer. So when the same author says... To he who overcomes, what's he talking about? He's talking about the church. Look, he's letting us know in seven letters to seven churches that not everybody who calls himself a Christian is a Christian. We understand that? Right? We get it? Not everybody who says he's a fish is a fish. Is he? You think, well, that's a weird thing to bring up. Aren't there a lot of people running around saying their things that they're not? Man, we're having arguments all around state capitals about the proper use of pronouns. Pronouns not that hard a thing, right? It's really easy to tell. DNA doesn't lie. I don't care where you traveled and what surgery you got. If someone takes your blood, you know what? I'll know which pronoun to use. Simple. You saying you're not that doesn't make the DNA wrong. Does it? 
If I go and somebody commits murder and they find a dude's blood and they take that blood and they say, this blood belongs to Jackie, he's the one who did the murder. And I say to you, you know what, I'm just not Jackie anymore. <laughs> Are you, okay? I, and I, I'm not trying to belittle it, I'm just trying to say, did that change the DNA? Okay, here's what I'm not saying. Does that mean that maybe I'm not, is it possible I'm having an a, a, a identity crisis? Sure. That's not the same thing, though. You get what I'm saying? So am I, am I saying people can't struggle with gender confusion? Absolutely they can. I'm simply stating that gender is an irrefutable fact. And people who say, I'm a science guy, will tell you that's an irrefutable fact. You may have confusion about it. You may not relate that way. But that is just a reality, right? The blood don't lie. The blood won't lie it's in the dna it's absolutely a part of who we are so as we come back to the text they will sit on thrones we're going to be sitting together with jesus christ we see it in revelation 3 21 laid out before us they also it says are going to be clothed with white raiment raiment so they're going to be wearing white clothes what's the bible say about that the Bible says, Revelation 3, 5, He who overcomes, who's an overcomer? Anybody who believes Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? Everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that, that God raised him from the dead, the Bible's very clear, shall be saved. That's entering into the family. That's period. The DNA is set. The DNA is set. So he who overcomes will be clothed in what? White garments. And I will not blot out his name from the Lamb's book of life, <coughs> but I will confess him before my Father and before the angels. So what is it that Jesus says in the, in the DNA and the reality of, of who these people are, the 24 elders? He says, well, the church, I'm going to sit on thrones. They're going to sit on thrones just like I'm sitting on a throne. He says, the church is going to be clothed in white garments that symbolize what? Our righteousness? What do they symbolize? Jesus' righteousness, right? We're putting on the clothes He provides us. Right? We're, we're being provided His righteousness. Third, this group, they have what on their heads? They have crowns. Okay, let's look at the Bible. they got crowns on their head. Revelation 2.10 says, Do not fear those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation how long? Ten days. That simply means it's not going to last forever. Temporary. You're going to have tribulation for ten days. <coughs> Be faithful unto death and I will give you what? The crown of life. Who's he talking to? Who's talking? Jesus. Who's he talking to? The church. The church, right? Here's the promise of the church. I'm going to give you a crown. Paul said like this. That he will give the crown of rejoicing to all who love his appearing. We love the appearance of Christ. We're looking for him. We want to see him. He has a crown for all those who love his appearing. In Revelation 3.11, he says this. Jesus again speaking to the church. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one take your Crown, crown. So over and over again, in the New Testament, we see the language of the church receiving 
a crown. Now, is that crown because we're such great people? No, that crown is because God's so gracious to us. He gives it to us, right? He's gifting us. Whatever we've accomplished in our life <clears throat> that gains us that crown, we accomplish because of His grace. It's strength He gave me, right? Not something in and of myself, something holy and completely that comes from Him. So as I look at these 24 elders sitting around the throne, wearing white raiment and having crowns on their head, I see the church. Next week we get to chapter 5, we'll look at the Song of the Redeemed, and I'll give you some more reasons why I see the 24 elders as a representative of the church of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we continue. There's proclamations coming from the throne. Throne, rainbow around it, light around the throne, 24 elders representing a greater number of people. They're clothed in white, wearing crowns. And it says in verse 5, And from the throne, so this is coming from the throne, proceeded lightning, thundering, and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, <coughs> which are the seven spirits of God. First, from the throne comes lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Okay, all throughout the Bible, New Testament and Old, that language is always used to describe what happens when God speaks. Over and over and over again. In Revelation 8.5, Revelation 11.19, Revelation 16.17, Job 37 verses 2 through 5, Psalm 18, and I could keep going. So over and over and over again, when God speaks, and it's something, what's a good way to put it? Earth-shattering? It's described by lightning, thundering, earthquake, the sun turned to black, and the moon. You guys get what I'm saying? Those are all what? Ways to describe an event that you aren't going to miss. You think if God spoke to you, you could miss it? Like, oh, yeah, God was speaking to me, but I didn't hear him today. No, if God's speaking, trust me, the way the Bible describes it, the sound of many waters, trumpets, thunder, lightning, yeah, you'll know. I, last time I was out when thunder and lightning and the earthquaking and all that stuff was going on, I was very aware of what was happening around me, right? I didn't miss it. And so, this is language used to say, hey, God's speaking. So out from the throne proceed lightning and thunder and, and the sound of voices. What are we talking about? We're talking about God making His decrees. What are the decrees God's going to make? In chapter 5, God's going to say, take this scroll sealed with seven seals. What's the scroll with seven seals? The Bible tells in the book of Jeremiah, it's a title deed. He says, take that title deed. What's He issuing? A decree. Do this. And then he does what? Open a seal. And he opens a seal and the first rider of the apocalypse comes. Open another seal. The second rider of the apocalypse comes. Open the third seal. Another rider comes. We have, what, four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? So when we look at it, what is happening from the throne is coming lightning and thunder and voices. God is speaking his decrees. And the 70th week of Daniel is beginning. You get what I'm saying? You see what I'm laying down? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. So this is what's going on. 
All right, but we have something else described to us, right? We had seven lamps of fire and seven spirits of God. Now, earlier when we saw the seven lamps, <coughs> they were representative of what? The seven lampstands were the seven churches. And seven, it was, is there only seven churches? So seven is a representative number of what? All the churches. Huh. And where are they right now? Before the throne of God, where? In heaven? Oh, you're kidding me. And he says, in that group, in that, in that body, there are the seven spirits of God. Man, I, I think, now, David Hawking thinks these are seven angels that God uses to, to bring all his judgments. He may be right. But I think when I see the seven spirits of God, seven represents a, a greater number. We're, 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 we're looking, I, I think we're looking at the Holy Spirit. I see the seven lampstands and I say, seven lampstands? Where in the world? Seven lampstands. The Bible says the seven lampstands are the church. Where does, G, where does the Holy Spirit reside in the church? Okay, so hold on to that thought. The Holy Spirit resides within the church. Turn in your Bibles or look on a, on a wall. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 6 through 9, <clears throat> we're talking about, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the revealing or unveiling of the Antichrist. When we come to that point, it says this, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. He is the Antichrist, that the Antichrist would be seen. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Do we see lawlessness in the world right now? Is there an attitude of anti Christian attitude? Yeah, so that's what the Bible's talking about. But it says, only he who now restrains will do so until what happens? Until he is taken away. Where does the Holy Spirit reside today? Is the Holy Spirit working in the world? Yes. Will the Holy Spirit be working in the world the day after the church is raptured? Yeah. But where is it, where is it that the Holy Spirit resides? What, how is the Holy Spirit salt and light to our world today? Through the church, right? Because the Holy Spirit enters into the life of believers when they give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. He enters in and we become a vessel, hopefully a witness, right, for Jesus Christ. We're salt and light in the world. That's what we're supposed to be. Agreed? So that's a represent. What do we see standing before the throne? You have a represent, a, a metaphor, a picture, right, of, of seven torches, seven lights, and the seven spirits of God which I think represent the Holy Spirit, and ultimately, again, speak of the reality of the church being before the throne. It says, He who restrains will only do so until he's taken out of the way. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit must be taken out of the way in terms of salt and light so that the one who is darkness can be revealed, so that people can see him. If I shine a flashlight in every corner, you can't see it, right? But if I turn out the light... Is it going to be hard to see the dark? No, dark, that's all you're going to see. All right? So that's what he's talking about. Only he who restrains does so until he's taken out of the way and the lawless one will be revealed, <coughs> whom the Lord will consume with his breath and destroy with the brightness of his coming. See how we're describing darkness? Jesus coming in his brightness, what happens to the darkness? Goes away, right? That's a picture. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power signs and lying wonders. So, so I think, my opinion, that I, I can't say definitively, but the, this picture of the seven torches or the seven candles or the seven lights 
and the seven spirits of God is a metaphor, is a picture being painted again to establish the reality of the church being in heaven. The Holy Spirit, the part of the Holy Spirit, that's a bad term. The Holy Spirit that resides in the hearts of believers, Jesus said he would never take them away, right? I'm going to give them to you and I will never take him away. I will never leave you or forsake you. So I'm not... So, in order for the salt and light to be gone, he takes the church out of the way. Okay? So that's what I, that I... We're looking at the throne. The responsibility and authority seen by the 24 elders. The reality of the presence of the church and the Holy Spirit there together at the throne of God with Jesus Christ all pictured before us. So, so that's what I see there. But then, look at verse 6. Revelation 4, 6. We got a long way to go. A short time to get there. I better have another hit of this. All right, three minutes. I can do all things through Christ. Verse 6, so before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. That is a description of the bronze laver. What? What are you talking about? They called it the sea, the sea, the bronze sea. What was it? It was the place where the high priest would wash his hands after the sacrifice. He would wash his hands in the sea. Now, what is this? It's the crystal sea. So it's the same picture. Everything in the Old Testament that we read about the tabernacle has a reality in the throne room of God. In fact, the throne itself we know by a different title. It's the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. The Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. Throne of God. Picture the tabernacle, the temple, and that's the throne room, right? You got the, the outer courts. That's where the high priest is doing his work. What's Jesus doing? He ever lives to make intercession for us. And you walk in, it's like walking into a throne room. The very far end of the throne room is the throne, and that's the seat of God. And as we come in, we come into the holy place. And as we pass through the holy place, we see the menorah, the lights, like we just saw described. The light. Remember when we look at the menorah, menorah is an eight-branch candle stand. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. So if we look at a menorah, you got one vine right down the middle. What do the other branches do? They connect to the vine. So when is man complete? When he's connected with Christ. And when we're complete, what do we have? We have six brought into one. We find ourselves in the, in the, uh, in the menorah, the, excuse me, seven branch candlestick. candlestick. We have that. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. We got the light. Everything in the temple, all of it is a picture of Jesus Christ. We have the table of showbread, God's provision. Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven. On this end, we have right, right before the throne, we have the place where intercessory prayer is given. The place of the golden altar where, where the priest would come and pray for the people. And just past that, through a veil, was the throne. Two cherubim. Keep that in mind. That's going to come up in... 30 seconds or less. And then the throne representative of the throne of God. That's what we're looking at in the throne room in Revelation chapter 4. He goes on to say, In the midst of the throne and around the throne were four, what are these? Living creatures. Are they alive? Yes. 
Are they different than anything you've ever seen? Yes. So what will we call them? Creatures, because we don't have another word. (coughs) All right. They're a type of angelic being, but they're not like just regular angel. These are different. We're going to see why in just a minute. It says there are four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. You ever thought your mom had eyes in the back of her head? Okay, these guys really do. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures each had six wings, were full of eyes around and within. They do not rest day or night, but they say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. So we're introduced to the four living creatures. That's as far as I go. I won't go into 10 and 11. We'll we'll tag that on next time. So bear with me and and I'll try to wrap it up. Who are these guys? Okay, they're described in Ezekiel as a cherubim. You guys heard that phrase before, cherubim? There's another word means exactly the same thing. It's the word seraphim. Seraphim and cherubim. Both of those are words that mean guardian spirit. The guardian spirit. The guardian spirits are shown for us. We see the picture of it in earthly kingdoms. What was a guardian spirit? That was what was on either side of the throne. Sometimes engraved into the sides of the throne would be some kind of creature. But the reality is, in God's throne, there is a real guardian spirit. Something God created that's not like anything we've ever seen. In fact, listen to the description uh, from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 10, verse 7. It says, And the cherub reached out its hand from among the cherubim to the fire that was among the cherubim, and took some of it, and put it, into the hands of the man clothed with linen, and he took it and went out. And the cherubim appeared to have the form of a man's hand under his wings. And when I looked, there were four wheels by the cherubim, one wheel by one stone, as, uh, and another wheel by each other cherub. The wheels appeared to have the color of a barrel stone. And as for their appearance, all four looked alike. As it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went toward any of four directions. They did not turn when they went, but followed the direction the head was facing. They did not turn aside when they went. And their whole body, with their back, their hands, their wings, and their wheels that the four had, were full of eyes all around. As for the wheels, they were called, in my hearing, wheel. Each one had four faces. Listen to this. The first face was the face of a cherub. The second, the face of a man. The third, the face of a lion. The fourth, the face of an eagle. And the cherubim were lifted up. That was the living creature that I saw at the river Kebar. When the cherubim went, the wheels went beside them. And when the cherubim lifted their wings to mount up from the earth, the same wheels uh, (coughs) also did not turn from beside them. When the cherubim stood still, the wheels stood still. And when one was lifted up, the other lifted itself up. For the spirit of the living creature was in them. And the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple, stood over the cherubim, and the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up for the earth at my sight. And when they went out, the wheels were beside them. They stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. 
This is the living creature I saw under the God of Israel by the river Kebar. And I knew they were cherubim. Each one had four faces, each one four wings. And the likeness of the hands of a man was under their wings. And the likeness of their faces was the same as the faces that I had seen by the river river Kebar. Their appearance and their persons, they each went straight forward. Trippy being, right? Yeah, when's the last time you've seen something with four different faces, each one different? And when you go to Revelation, you see the description, you realize what I'm looking at is a different face facing forward from each of the living creatures. The cherubim, the guardian spirit, the, the, guard, the throne guardian standing beside the throne. So here's what I know about the living creatures. They're a divine created being. God made them, right? We always see them the same place. Where were they in Ezekiel? The Lord was right on top of them. Where do we see him in the throne room? God's on the throne, and you have the four living creatures beside the throne. Right? Every time you find them in the Scripture, we're going to see them over and over and over and over and over again. In Revelation, where are they? Around the throne. What are they doing? Guarding the throne. What are they saying? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This is part of the creation of God around the throne being described. But there's... God doesn't just do things haphazardly. It's not just like, oh, I just decided to do this really weird thing. Everything has meaning. Okay? Everything has meaning. So where do we see the meaning of of this? Okay. We have divine beings here. In these divine beings is pictured Jesus in all four Gospels. What do I mean? Well, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is the king and the universal symbol for the king was the lion and one had a face like a lion the other had a face like an ox the ox is a universal symbol of the servant that is the book of mark which presents messiah as the servant the suffering servant (coughs) the third face was like that of a man luke describes the messiah the Son of Man gives the picture of the humanity of Messiah. And fourthly, we have the face of an eagle, which speaks universally of divinity. And the Gospel of John presents Jesus Christ as God in the flesh. Everything has a purpose. It all fits Together, Each one of those is an example of an attribute of God. Each one of them is a, is a part of the attribute of God. A part of the attribute seen through Jesus Christ. Is God king? Yes. Is God a servant? Absolutely. Is God care about the sons of men? For sure. Is there humanity within Jesus Christ? There absolutely is. Is God divine? For sure. We see all of those things in those pictures. But that's not the end. Because prior to Jesus coming in the New Testament and revealing all of that, we had another testament, right? Called the Old Testament. Well, we should probably see some kind of picture there too, right? So you remember back to the Jasper and the Sardius stone, there were symbols. Remember? Each one of those stones stood for one of the children of Israel. Twelve children that brought forth the nation. The great encampment that would go out in front and lead the children of Israel in the wilderness, we have the encampment of Judah, whose symbol was 
the lion. He, Jesus, is called the what? Lion of what? The tribe of Judah. Next we see Ephraim. Ephraim was the next group. Ephraim becomes a, <coughs> a title used for the southern kingdom of the nation of Israel. Their symbol was the ox. Next you have Reuben. Reuben's symbol was the symbol of a man. The man. And finally, you have Dan, the tribe of Dan. Their symbol, an eagle. When the children of Israel would gather and travel, they would travel under those four banners. The lion, the ox, the man, the eagle. There's no such thing as circumstance. We have the reality of design. Each of those symbols speaks to an attribute of God and part of the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And they are forever a part of the guardian, uh, the temple or the throne guardians, the cherubim, that sit around the throne saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. Why I say it three times? Well, there's Father. Son, Holy Spirit. Also, every time something's repeated, it's lifted a new level. Holy, holy, holy. In the, in the Hebraic mind, <clears throat> if you repeated something three times, that's as much as you needed to go. If you said it three times, that's as emphatic as you can make the point. So as we look, we're not quite finished. Well, we're finished tonight, but we're not quite finished with it. chapter 4. What are we looking at? The throne of God. We see these incredible sights. All of this is a picture and reality of of what's going on, right? we got the four living creatures. We see the design of God in all the different aspects, pictured through the tabernacle, all of it in the throne of God. And there's a bunch of stuff still happening there. The rest of the book's going to come from the throne of God. God's going to speak, and things are going to take place, right? All the while... The 24 elders around the throne, the four living creatures, and the angels of God are in that place. We also are introduced to these beings in Isaiah chapter 6. I encourage you to look at it. It's not without issue, without struggle. Sometimes they're described as having four wings. Sometimes they're described as having six wings. You know, we don't have all the answers, but we just see the, the... what we do understand and what we do know, that's what we hold. And the rest we say, I'm going to understand that one day. I'm going to get the difference in the two when I see him face to face around that throne. But now when you see it, you won't be shocked. You'll say, I heard about that in church, right? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.